You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. My name is Jake. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. Welcome. This morning, we are talking about one of my favorite subjects, prayer. We're going to get right into it. Um, if, if you want to learn more about prayer, just hear me. Spend the rest of your life in Luke 11, and you can't do wrong. Okay, Luke chapter 11 is where we're at, verses 1 through 13 today, but we're going to break this up into sections, okay? So here we are. I'm in the English Standard Version, Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. There comes a time in the life of every disciple when one recognizes that they don't know how to pray and that they must learn. There's no other option. Observing Jesus or any holy person, for that matter, the disciple will see a clear distinction in the way that they pray compared to these holy persons. You know what I'm talking about? Let's see if you can relate to any of, these, uh, any of these realities. I speak to God, but it seems like God speaks to them. You ever felt that way before? I'm not convinced that God is going to answer me, but somehow they are. You ever felt that way before? I don't know what to say or ask for. Somehow they always do. My prayers are short, yet somehow my words are many. Their prayers are long, but their words are few. My prayers feel empty and ritualistic. You guys ever felt like that before? Like I'm checking things off a list, but their prayers seem full, full of passion, full of life. My prayers seem weak and small, but theirs are powerful and bold. Prayer drains me. It leaves me feeling empty but it seems to fill and empower them. I've just got a few more. I get along fine without praying too much. They act like prayer is the air they breathe. I pray because I'm supposed to. They pray because they want to. Every one of us has felt that one before, right? I usually can't wait to finish my prayer. They can't wait to begin. And maybe you could convince yourself that that kind of prayer, that kind of holy, deep, passionate, full-of-life sort of prayer is only reserved for certain people, like Jesus and and pastors, maybe, and retired people. (laughs) They've got the time, right? That it's not really necessary in order to be a good Christian. Have any of you believed that lie, that that kind of prayer isn't necessary in order to be a good Christian? But deep down, you know differently, don't you? You know that Jesus' prayer life was the very thing that set him apart. Jesus' prayer life was the anchor of his spiritual depth. It inspired his worship. It enabled his obedience. It was in prayer that he obeyed, that he had the strength to obey even unto death. Prayer was the tether between him and the Father that kept them so intimate. 
It was his very access to the wisdom and to the power of the Holy Spirit who enabled him to be who he was and do what he did. And you know that if you want to be his disciple, if you want to be a Christian and have all of these amazing benefits of the Christian life that have been promised to you, you must learn to pray like Jesus. There is no other way. And so we pray together this morning these very words that one of Jesus' own disciples said in the scripture we read. Would you say it with me? Lord, teach us to pray. Let's say it one more time and let's mean it. Lord, teach us to pray. We're going to talk a lot more about prayer this morning, but I want you to remember that prayer because if you don't know where to begin, that is always the best place to begin. Lord, teach me to pray. Let's continue on. We're going to read verses 2 through 4 now in chapter 11. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we forgive, our, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. It feels weird reading that because it's like the spliced version of the Lord's Prayer that I memorized as a child, right? You, I hope you recognize that. Um, maybe a few different versions of the Lord's Prayer, but traditionally they all sound about the same. If you're like me, you memorized that a long time ago. You've said it countless times in your life without really knowing what you're saying. It's just something you do. It's something that good Christians know and do. But Jesus didn't teach his disciples his prayer just to recite in some uh, mindless, thoughtless, ritualistic way, right? Obviously, there's more to it. He gave them a foundation to begin with. These aren't just words to recite. This is a content to make your own. This is, this is the fundamentals of prayer. Jesus says, start here. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to break this apart. We're going to look at it. And I hope, I think this will really drastically change the way that some of you look at prayer. I know it certainly has me in my life. And even, even recently, there's always new things that come out of this prayer. So let's start with the very first word, Father. What does it mean to say Father when you start a prayer? This is not just a title for God. This is not just a, a, a salutation on a letter saying who you're directing it to. No, when you say father, what does it mean that you are a child? That's where you must ground yourself as you begin prayer. When you say father, it means you are daughter. You are son. You are a child of God. And he is the good father. His primary concern in the universe, is you. You hear me? This last Wednesday, I was teaching about when God, uh, God spoke down to Jesus uh, during his baptism. The heavens opened, and he said, you are my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And for the vast majority of my life, I've thought, well, yeah, Jesus deserved to hear those words. Those were unique for Jesus, right? Because he was his son, and, and he was perfect, and so why wouldn't God be well-pleased and whatever? And recently, I realized those words were not just for Jesus. Those words were for me, and those words were for you. God wants you to hear, you are my son, you are my daughter. 
my beloved, you are precious to me, and with you I am well pleased. What sort of confidence might that give you as you enter into prayer with that understanding of your relationship with God? Moreover, in the Lord's Prayer, how do we start? Not my Father, but our Father. Who's our? Who was, who was teaching him to say this prayer? Jesus. So our Father is not even just our Father here in this room. This is Jesus and me. I'm a brother. You're a brother or a sister of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I'm praying with you. Our Father so we enter into this conversation with God, with our Father, knowing that even Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, is praying along with us. And there's all sorts of scripture that testify to this reality that, that the Spirit of Christ perfects our prayers. That he wants for us the things that we need, the things that we don't even know that we need. And he prays alongside us, right? And so you don't have to worry about perfecting your prayers. Let him do it. Okay, we're moving on. Hallowed be your name. I love the way the NLT puts it. May your name be kept holy. That is an accurate translation of that. How many of you have said hallowed be your name for your whole life and you've never known what it, what it means? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the honesty. It's like who in this room has ever used the word hallowed? Come on. Like we got to ad adapt our language a little bit. So, so remember this. When I pray the Lord's Prayer and every morning now, I use this phrase, may your name be kept holy. I pray, God, that you would be worshipped, that you would be feared, that your name would be held higher than all other names and that no one, including myself, would ever degrade or misrepresent your name. That's what we're praying here. May your name, God, be kept holy. That's where my prayer begins. Pray that prayer with gusto and see whether or not you can continue living like you're living. Pray that prayer with, with energy and passion and tell me whether or not you can fall asleep while doing it. You can't. I pray that prayer in the shower sometimes and I feel like I just gotta get down on my knees. God, may your name be kept holy, right? That's where Jesus says we begin. Next, your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. I wanna clarify something. This is not a prayer for the second coming of Jesus. I'm sorry if you've thought that your whole life. That's not what this means. This is not a prayer for the second coming of Jesus. We Christians are not just dying and waiting, whatever, for Jesus to return so we can be saved from this life. No, no. We want this earth to look like as much as possible the new creation that God wants in the future, right? This is a prayer that God's will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Not that the earth would just, just end, but that things would change, that things would transform. This is a big prayer. This is a bold prayer. This is a prayer that isn't satisfied with the way things are. It longs for change. It's much bigger than myself, right? This is a prayer that injustice would be thwarted, that relationships would be reconciled. This is a prayer for the blind to see, for the dead to be raised. In every respect, this is a prayer for an awakening. Lord, may your kingdom come. When's the last time you prayed that kind of prayer? We get so caught up in our 
personal little things, right? And I'm look, look, God cares about the little details, details of your life. He cares tons about those things. Don't get me wrong. But this, Jesus said, should shape the foundation of our prayer life. It centers us on something much greater than ourselves. It, it, it frees me, I find, from the self-centeredness that so often casts a shadow over my prayer life. And it reminds me, as I, um, I spoke about last December, I don't know if you remember this, I said there, there should be two things that should direct, two things that should direct your dreams, your hopes, and your prayers. What were they? The glory of the Lord and the salvation of the world. You let those two things direct your dreams, your hopes, and your prayers, your life will change dramatically. The glory of the Lord, the salvation of the world. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Seek first the kingdom, and the rest will be added unto you. And so he goes into the next prayer. Give us each day our daily bread. Lord, give me all that I need today to live as a faithful follower of Jesus today. Give me all that I need today to be a joyful follower of Jesus today. This is not just a prayer for, for uh, food and shelter and whatever. E- nearly everyone in this room already has that, all right? There's more to this prayer. Give me everything that I need to be a faithful and joy-filled follower of Jesus today. But here's the thing, just for today. Daily, my daily bread. This, this has been my favorite part of the Lord's Prayer recently, and here's why. It's because it reminds me of the Israelites out in the desert in Exodus, right? And they, they complained they didn't have any food, and God rained, rained down the, the daily bread from heaven. I don't think this is an accident that, that Jesus uses the same language here, daily bread. And what does God tell them uh, but that they have to go out every day, and if they keep it left over, what happens to it? It spoils. The bread spoils if they take for today too much, more than they need for that day, right? And what this tells me is that as I pray for all that I need today, I can't rely on what God gave me yesterday. It's spoiled. I must come to him every morning, the moment I get up and say, God, I need today for what you have given me for today. I can't rely on yesterday's bread. It's spoiled. But it also means, and here's the real freedom for me, because I'm a, I get caught up in my head and I try to figure things out and I look out into the future and I worry and I say, God, how's all this gonna work and happen and whatever? And, and I'm saying, God, I, I need to know and understand how the next 10 years of my life is gonna look. You know, you know what I mean? And I need that today. And, and he, he's saying, no, you don't. I'm gonna give you today your daily bread. And then tomorrow your daily bread. And then the next day, your daily bread. Stop trying to get today all that you need for the next week or month or year. It's just ridiculous. Stop. And Jesus talks a lot about this. I don't need to, you know, quote the scriptures. Give me today my daily bread. And that to me is just the freedom to live with God today, embrace the challenges and the joys or whatever of today, and know that I have everything that I need to get through today. Forget tomorrow. We'll come to it when we wake up in the morning. Next, forgive our sins. Here, it's in this prayer that we're drawn back to the gospel, the real meat. 
the real bare bone basics of the gospel, that we have alienated ourselves, alienated ourselves from God by our sin. But that God has loved us so much that he has died for us so that we might know how much he loves us, turn from our sinful ways, and choose for the first time or for the thousandth time to follow him once again, knowing that in the blood of Jesus we're forgiven. This is much of a, a statement. This is as much of a, of a proclamation as it is a prayer. You hear me? This is as much of a prayer saying, I am forgiven, as it is saying, God, please forgive me. Because uh, just as soon as we confess our sins, as we recognize our guilt and place it before God at the altar, just as soon as that happens, we're free from it in the blood of Jesus Christ. And every morning when you pray this prayer, you're preaching the gospel to yourself. And that's oh so very important. Is it daily we recognize our sins? We, we allow space and time to, to, to reflect on how we're living, to let God lovingly correct the way that we're living, right? And then we say, God, I repent and, and I thank you for forgiving me. Thank you. What an amazing prayer we can pray. Forgive us our sins. And then here's this next very challenging phrase, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. If you listen to the Lord's prayer that's traditionally spoken, it's forgive us our sins as we forgive those who, forgive against, uh, who have sinned against us. And both uh, examples of the Lord's prayer found in Matthew and in Luke, they say it differently. It's not as we forgive, as if this is something that we're still trying to do. This is forgive us our sins for we forgive because we forgive. Or the book of Matthew says we have forgiven. This is a done deal. And we, we got to be reminded of, of the times when Jesus says, the Father won't forgive those who don't forgive others. <laughs> and that's like, whoa. So this is, this is like, i got to deal with my stuff. If I've got anger or resentment or bitterness that wells up in my heart towards other people, and I proclaim, just in the previous prayer, the forgiveness of God in my life, I've got to forgive those other people. And maybe this is just a place where you deal with, you deal with that with God. You say, God, I can't. It, help me, right? But so, so this, this forms a foundation of our prayers so we can remember what's truly important. So our conversation with God can be guided by these sorts of things that will, that will form us into these, these amazing believers, people that he, he meant for us to be. I dare you if you have hatred or resentment or bitterness in your heart towards anyone, to pray this prayer. I dare you. For we ourselves, say, for, for I myself have forgiven anyone indebted to me. <laughs> and lead us not into temptation. When's the last time that you prayed that God would deliver you from evil? When's the last time you prayed that God would help you to be completely free of sin? When's the last time that you, you prayed he would free you from materialism and greed altogether? Or when's the last time you prayed that God would, would help with your, your sexual temptations? Or when's the last time 
that you prayed that God would help you with. I mean, you know, X, Y, Z. The temptations in your life. And when's the last time you prayed this for the church? See, it's in this prayer that we join Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. where we renounce the desires of the flesh, where we realign ourselves with God's will. We say, your will be done, not our own. And Lord, give us the strength to resist the enemy when he shows up. That's the very thing Jesus was doing and that he was telling his disciples to do in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's to be prepared for when the temptation comes. So when's the last time you prayed for that? Well, that's the Lord's Prayer. We've got even more to come. Again, I want to encourage you to make that your foundation. Take some of those things that I told you, even one by one, just step by step. Begin applying them to your prayer life, and and you will start seeing your life change. KJ's got some things to share later. I hope you share in this service about uh, some of the changes you've made to your prayer life. But there's just the the ways that we tend to speak to God um, are just not like that, right? (laughs) And I'm as guilty of it as anyone. And so I just want, I want us as a congregation to really begin living into this sort of bold, awesome, radical prayer. Okay, let's move on. Luke 5 through 8. 11, 5 through 8. Uh, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. This is a rhetorical question. The answer is, none of you have a friend that would do this. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence or shamelessness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, so Jesus gives this analogy. He says, um, imagine that you have a friend that shows up in the middle of the night And in this culture, it was unthinkable to not be hospitable, to not have something to give them, i.e. bread, right? And so it's it's midnight, and everyone in your neighborhood is asleep, but you don't have what you need to give to your friend that showed up out of nowhere. So you go to another friend's house, banging on the door, all the family's sleeping in one place, you're making a, a ruckus, probably waking up the neighbors or whatever, but you don't care. You're being shameless in the sense, right? The appearances or whatever, you just, you need bread. And so you're banging on his door. And Jesus asks this rhetorical question. He says, which one of your friends wouldn't just get up and give you a piece of bread in that situation? Anyone would in that situation. And, and not even because they're a friend, he says, but because of your shamelessness. It's just so ridiculous just to send you away. Here's the bread that you need. How much more then will God respond to your prayers if you are shameless? Now, I think it's so interesting because the the word used in Greek for shamelessness here is never used in a positive context in ancient Greek. Never. And yet Jesus uses it here in a positive context as if that's how we should act before God. Shameless. He's making a powerful point that I want us to think about for a second. Don't wait until the right time of day to approach God. You know what I'm talking about? It's like we go throughout our days, we recognize needs. Maybe we're at work or we're busy with something or in conversation. We realize, um, and maybe you don't realize, but, but we, we need to pray in this moment and we just say, I'll do it later. And th- there are appropriate times and appropriate places in life for us to pray, we think. And Jesus is saying, stop doing that. 
If you need something from God, go to God. In my life, one of the best places I've found to pray in like a public place like work is the bathroom. Go pick a stall and go pray in the toilet. God doesn't care. That's shameless, right? Two, don't bother cleaning yourself up or making yourself presentable. This is what shameless is all about. It doesn't matter how I look. I'm in desperate need. And I think sometimes we think that we've got to like somehow get our acts together, right? Make ourselves presentable before we present ourselves to God so that he'll be more likely to respond to us, right? But that's the wrong mindset. Jesus says, be shameless. Stop doing that. No matter how much you've messed up or how ugly you think you are, outsider, inside, or whatever, just, just go to God shamelessly. Three, don't bother trying to swoon or convince God with eloquent words. It doesn't matter how many times you say please. It doesn't matter. My daughter, Mika, will literally ask me for anything at any time in the day, and she will not stop asking until she gets an answer. And she rarely says, please. She's two and a half, for what it's worth, but she is the definition of shameless. She, I mean, and anyone who has a child that young knows that they are the definition of shameless. And she says things like, give me, and I want, and come with me, and it, all of these sorts of things. And my wife and I are, have been teaching her for a long time, you know, manners, like proper human beings use, but God's just like, don't, I don't care if you use manners. In fact, I'd prefer you didn't. Be shameless. Come to me like your little two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Be the, the, the shameless, persistent, needy, annoying little child you were meant to be. You know what I mean? We were meant to be that. We are children of God. Don't, try, don't bother trying to be self-sufficient, I think, is just, it's the last one. Because you're not. If you're the man in this story, if you're the person in this story, which all of us are, we don't have the bread we need. It doesn't exist. Our culture just idolizes self-sufficiency, doesn't it? I mean, the, the volumes of books and programs and what I, therapy and whatever it goes, I, that teaches us how to be self-sufficient is just absurd. And friends, we were not created to be self-sufficient. God himself, ready to hear this, is not self-sufficient. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They rely on each other. We were made in that image. You are not self-sufficient. If you've already got the bread, or if you can just go get some, make some yourself, or figure out some other option, then you will never go to God. And I think this is part of the problem with with. Our lives is we, we are just under this idea that we can get up on any given day and just get throughout the day fine without God. And friends, we can't. That is not how we were created. If you're convinced you've already got the bread you need for today, you don't. Jesus says, if you ever want to pray as I do, you need to learn that you're not self-sufficient. You need to understand how deep your need really is for God and then learn to radically and shamelessly rely on him again and again and again.
God is just waiting for his children to wake up and come knocking at his door at the most inconvenient time of the night because they finally realize that they have nothing to offer the world if they have not him. All right, and let's finish out here. Verse 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, there's that language again, father, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Again, rhetorical question, no one. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It still amazes me sometimes how long it takes for me to bring certain issues in my life to God. You know, I torture myself trying to figure things out in my own head. And can, anyone, can you just raise your hand if you relate to that? All right, like, all right, like 75% of you probably. Um, you know, I torture myself trying to accomplish things on my own too, even as it relates to like good, you know, holy endeavors, like, like overcoming sin and whatever. And I, it's just, I, I try to do all these things on my own effort. And Jesus just, he has these words. He says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. And I read that and it's like, oh yeah, you know, I, <laughs> why have I been dealing with this issue for, for, three weeks, and I'm just now, like, bringing it to God. Why does it take us so long? Just ask. Just have the conversation with God, you know, anything you want. This doesn't seem conditional to me, you know? And, and look, I've, I understand that, and myself included, that we've prayed sometimes under these conditions, and, and we've been disappointed. And so I, you know, in the past, when I've taught this text, Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. I've, I've gone about it in this way where I talk about all the nuances, you know, and the, and the caveats to why sometimes this may not be the case. And, you know, I, I've done that before. And today, I just, I just don't care to do that today because Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus seems satisfied with just, just giving his disciples this bit of wisdom and letting them work it out. And my whole life, I, 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 I try to just make sense of things like this. And, and this morning, I just want to encourage you, just with me, <laughs> to just take Jesus up on this word, relentlessly pursue it for the rest of your life and see what happens. Because that, that seems to be what Jesus is calling us to do. Ask, seek, and knock, and see how faithful God truly is. It really calls us to trust in God, doesn't it? And, the, you know, kind of the other side of this is if you, if you have not, James says, it's because you've asked not. <laughs> if the door's not been opened, it's likely because you haven't knocked on it yet. If you haven't received, it's very likely because you haven't sought. Or maybe you've done those things in the wrong way. I, I don't know. But I think probably the greatest failure of the church, of Christians today, are their neglect of prayer. I think the greatest failure of the church today is its neglect of prayer. I could be wrong on that. That's just my own, that's my own take on things. We have not because we ask not. What do you want God to do, you know? 
What do you want to see God do? What do you want from him? We aim at nothing and we hit every time, you know? It's a phrase that Bob used in his last, it's, it's awesome. I mean, we, we aim at nothing and we hit every time. Let's be specific. Let's be big in our prayers. Let's focus on God's kingdom. Let's be shameless about what we want and what we need and, and develop a lifestyle where this kind of prayer happens, not even just daily, but multiple times a day, all throughout the day. It begins to shape the, the very landscape of our, our life, our church, the world around us. Because, friends, without prayer, we have, we have very little <laughs> to offer ourselves or anyone. This week, um, there are a couple things I want to invite you to do. One is we've been praying and fasting on Wednesdays. Um, during lunch, at noon, we meet in the sanctuary for 30 minutes. Um, if you've not been yet, come. Take off your lunch hour, and you can fast on, uh, during breakfast or dinner too if you want, um, or just do lunch, and just come and pray with us. We're praying as a church um, for an awakening and, and other things. Second thing I'd like to invite you to do this week is, is Pastor Bob, our lead pastor, is, he's leaving in July. Um, he's retiring, and he's, his last class is going on right now called Uncommon Faith Practices. And tonight at 6 o'clock, also Wednesday at 6.30, he's teaching on prayer. So if you're compelled by anything that's being spoken to you this morning, you want to go deeper in the life of prayer, come to one of his classes. And it's just kind of a week-to-week thing, so you don't have to sign up or anything, just show up. Um, today... There's something I want to ask you to do. Um, if you have a connection card, or a, um, there should be a place to write your prayers on the back. If not, there's papers over there um, and pens and whatever. And what I find, do any of you get distracted in prayer? Like, you, you know, you try, you honestly, sincerely try. You sit there for 20 minutes, and you've, just, you've been thinking about, like, how you're going to get your dog to the vet for the last 15. You know what I mean? Like, your, your mind just trails, and you're like, what happened with this time? I just totally wasted it. Well, um, this, I think, will help. Start writing down your prayers. It is every bit as valid. Get yourself a journal or just start with a notepad. Try it once. Try it this morning. And just literally just start writing to God, and you'll, you'll, it, gives you, it will give you focus. Um, and then you can begin to see, as you look back on those, if you have a journal, how God has faithfully answered your prayers, and that's awesome. That's really cool. I can go back over the years and see, wow, God answered that prayer. He answered that prayer. Um, so do that this morning. And then lastly, there's going to be a microphone uh, right here. And I would ask, we're going to have some just music kind of playing in the background before the band gets up here again. Anyone who'd like to share a testimony of a time somewhat recently when God has been faithful in your life in answering prayer, uh, I invite someone, maybe two or three people, to come up and share a 30 to 60 second testimony with that. Um, there's hardly anything in the church we can do that's, that's better than testifying real tangible stuff to God's faithfulness. Let me pray and then we'll enter into this time. Father, um, you are good. You are awesome. You are faithful. We confess that in many ways we do not know how to pray. <laughs> and uh, I'm so grateful for your word that was recorded that just gives us these basic um, steps to start with. And I think our heart this morning really, Lord, is just that you continue teaching us to pray. 
Holy Spirit, um, I pray that you convict us. I pray that you um, that you move within us to give us the strength and energy and the desires that we need to seek you daily, fervently, passionately. And Lord, we long to see you move. We long to see more prayers answered in this community. We long to see this community become a praying community where the power of God is made manifest in all sorts of ways. Um, This morning, bless our time together as we praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.